promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. Don't regret this, Lord. I'm a wonderful person. The Holy Gospel, according to John, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your Spirit by the power of your Word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. I wonder this morning... For you to think of your name, think of your image, think of uh, someone sees you coming in from some place, they see you you approaching, what do they think? What are they reminded of you in seeing you? Is it your your lovely singing voice? Uh, Your your ability to get things done? Your success in business? Your, Your sense of humor? Your smile? Is it your crabbiness? The fact that, unfortunately, you always root for the Vikings? When people see you coming, what do they think? What's their opinion of you? What conclusions, what what presumptions have they made about you? I ask because have they known you on your worst day? Did they get to know you because of your worst day? So from now on, ever since that day, they have an opinion of you that's probably not you, right? Anybody been there? Yeah? They think you swear like a sailor all the time? What? You laugh, I'm just asking, right? Or you cry too much, oh, it was just one of those days. But that's been cemented in their minds about you. And there's nothing really that you can do about it because they're always going to assume that about you, aren't they? Always no matter the fact that you could have witnesses about, about the fact that that's not really you. Well, I start there because I want to bring us back to our first reading this morning in Acts, verse 13 of Acts 4. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Because you see, 
People assumed something about Peter and John. These were Galilean fishermen. These were rednecks. And for some reason, they show up on the scene after Pentecost and they approach the temple and there's a man there who had been crippled for 40 plus years at the gate called Beautiful and they heal him. They have nothing else to give him. They have no gold. They have no silver. They have nothing. They say, but the only thing I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And he does. And so they make their way into the temple and everybody's amazed because they know this man was a cripple and for some reason now he's not. Something transformed in him. Something different. And then Peter preaches. And the church grows because of that preaching. And then the leadership gets upset because they have one question and one question only. By what power, what authority have you done this thing? Because we know it's not you. You're just some Galilean fisherman. But they saw the healed man, so they knew something happened. They saw Peter and John. They knew it shouldn't be them, especially Peter. Jeez, Peter. They recognized that something different was in front of them. What we see first, the the, the first thing that amazes them, they're amazed by, by the boldness of Peter and John. That that they're bold enough to proclaim something as crazy as the resurrection of the dead in the name of Jesus, for instance. That they're bold enough to stand up to the leadership, that they're standing up for something, that they have assurance and and such certainty about this Jesus that that, that Peter's words, his preaching, turns into action by, by, by healing this man but they realize that it's not just some great ideas that that have happened here, that there's some conviction by what he has said. There's there's boldness by him being willing to say what he is preaching. I like the fact that this this text comes around every every three years, and and when it does, I always make sure to include verse 13. Verse 13 is not included in the lectionary text, but it's a good conclusion to what Peter says. And I love the fact that it's always paired with this reading from 1 John 3, because there we also hear about boldness, don't we? We hear that if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God. Why? Because our hearts always condemn us. Our hearts always worry about what other people think, don't they? Our hearts always condemn us because we worry about, well, have I loved enough? Have I done enough? Am I good enough? All of us have that little voice in the back of our heads saying something, right? And if you don't have that little voice in the back of your head, then we need to talk. Because that's probably even worse. You, know, you, need, you need that little Jiminy Cricket to show up to be your conscience, right? But also, sometimes having that little voice helps to humble us a little bit. And maybe in that humbling, then we get drawn back to God in Christ because we end up receiving from him a commandment. And, and this morning we could talk about the whole love one another thing, because we love love, right? And, and John loves love. He loves talking about love. Love, 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 love. All over in the gospel, all over in his first letter. And that's, and that's great. Loving one another is wonderful. But the first commandment that we actually receive from God there is what? To believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because loving one another can be the easy part. Trusting God when life is horrible, not so much. To trust him, 
to hold on to him, to, to, to abide in him, to, to cling to him. That, that word abiding, that's another word that John loves. It's this picture of making a home, making a place for yourself there, that you dwell in that space. And the good news is, is that we don't do it by ourselves, but we do it through the Spirit. Because what do we hear about Peter in our reading this morning? It says that in order for him to preach... In order for him to speak, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you take the time to look at Peter all throughout the other Gospels, he's known for putting his foot in his mouth so far that he's up to his own hip. Right? He's very bold, but he normally just says really dumb things. But the Spirit comes, invades his life, and now he's preaching about this Jesus. Not about Peter, not about anything else. He basically has taken to heart what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 where he says, hold on to what you have known and become convinced of. And Peter is holding on to that because he's like, I can't deny what I have seen, what I've heard. This last week, many of us were glued to the TV screen at 5 o'clock on Tuesday when Derek Chauvin learned his fate, right? And we were kind of a little, little worried that, that how the verdict might go, but most of us in this room basically knew what was going to happen. We knew where the verdict would go because there's video. And the defense really didn't even deny the situation. They basically tried to say, well, he really just did what he was trained to do kind of a thing. That's not a very good defense. But we were convinced. We had seen, most of us had seen the video. We knew in reality that that is what had happened. Well, to borrow a little bit of that, I wonder for us, how much of Christ crucified and risen for you needs to become a reality for you? Truth. That there needs to be some sort of YouTube clip out there for you to see of this Christ dying and rising for you to hold on to that, to grant you this boldness that, that Peter has, to be able to say, no, Christ died and rose for me and he did it for you too. The second thing that they find out about, about these two, that they realize about these two is they're ordinary. The, the ordinariness of Peter and John. It, it says that they were uneducated, untrained men. The, one, of the, one of those words in the Greek is idioti. What does that sound like? Idiots. That's where we get it from. They're looking at Peter and John and going, God chose these idiots? Quite literally, that's what they're saying. Using it in the, prophet, the, the proper uh, uh, tense there. Uh, yeah, these are, these are idiots. They are uneducated, untrained men. They didn't have a CV. They didn't have a resume. They didn't have uh, uh, be able to say, yeah, I, I studied under so-and-so, I've, I've got the degrees, I've got the letters behind my name, all this stuff. No, there was nothing impressive about them. They probably still smelled like fish. These were fishermen. Nothing important or good lied within these people. They're sitting here saying, how can this be? Well, this is the reason why I love that this text comes to us on Good Shepherd Sunday, because we're hearing all about, we, we heard of all about the Good Shepherd, and we heard about sheep, and we could talk about how sheep are dumb. Yeah, they'd fit in with, with idiots, and unfortunately, that's what Jesus calls us, right? Sheep. 
But sheep basically only serve two purposes in the world. Did you know that? Something to wear or something to eat. That's it. They don't have superpowers. They might think they do, but they don't. You get wool for clothes, meat and milk to eat. That's about it. You can ride them if they get big enough, but you know, we, we don't need to go that direction. Well, what ends up happening in Christ? Christ comes to us in our ordinariness, in our sheepiness, and he gives us a third purpose. And that third purpose is to be bought. He buys us with his own blood, with his own self, to give us a place to belong, to make us part of the team. Because we're the sheep he's given up his life for and taken it back again. He's the one who calls us and we hear his voice. And so this morning, I can say to you without any doubt whatsoever, if you're in Christ, you belong to him. He's bought you. You should all get you sweatshirts that say property of the king. He's made you, uh, instead of ordinary, extraordinary, because our ordinariness is actually good. It's actually better, because when we show up to God with nothing, no CV, no resume, no accomplishments, nothing, that's the best thing, because then he says, here, have Christ. And that's all you get. That's the only thing that matters. is Christ for us. Because lastly, the, thing that, the other thing that they notice that they're amazed by is the fact that they're actually able to recognize that, that Peter and John had been with Jesus. I always love that line in verse 13. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. In all their ordinariness, in all their boldness, the one thing that they're left with is the fact that they're on the Jesus team. My, my wife and I, on vacation in California uh, a week ago, uh, someone uh, realized that my wife is from, well, she's born in Germany, but she's spent the majority of her life in, in Minnesota, and they had to ask the one question. You know which question I'm going to ask. Can you say bag? Bag, right? It, it has an A in it, but I've learned since I've been here in Minnesota that it actually has an E in it, that it's big, right? Like, it could have been worse. They could have asked, can you say boat? Boat. Bo- no, boat. I, I can't even do it. Boat. But, <laughs> but they had to ask her, you know, can you say bag? Just, just, just one little... Because they noticed something d- that distinguished her from the other people in the room who were not from Minnesota. That, that, that they noticed an accent with her, which I, I don't really notice it, but we've been together now for 25 years. So, whatever. But, so she, she had to say, yeah, beg. What, what do you want? There was something distinguishing about her. And the interesting thing is that all of us have those distinguishing marks. It's not just for those of you who have that accent. Uh, I know that most of you don't sound like Fargo. Yeah. But we all have distinguishing marks. We have our scars. We have our wounds. We have our burns. And then Christ comes along and he gives you his wounds. He gives you his distinguishing marks of who he is, and that's what you get from him. The distinguishing marks of Christ. I remember when I was in my candidacy uh, for ordination in the ELCA, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of interviews, which is good, 
But I was on internship and I got in trouble with a sermon that I did on, on one particular Sunday because I was in the midst of filling out all my approval essay paperwork and one of the questions that was asked of me that I had to answer was basically this, why should we let you be a pastor? And I'm sitting there looking at the question going, well, if you really knew me, you shouldn't. <laughs> Which I think anyone who thinks God is calling them to be a pastor, that should be their first answer. I shouldn't. There's no reason why I should. And I, and I talked in the sermon about that, about the fact that there's no one in this room that should be a pastor. Except for Jesus who comes and gathers us and says, oh yeah, I'm going to make of this one a pastor because I need someone to be able to get up at least once a week to talk about me. Never mind the fact that Luther tells us in the third article of the Creed in the small catechism, it's a section of the Creed where we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, all those things, right? In Luther's explanation of it, he says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit calls me through the gospel, enlightens me with his gifts, and keeps me in the one true faith, which he does for the whole Christian church on earth. And that's the only answer that we have. For, for all our faith, for all our belief, for what it means to be in Christ, it all comes back to what God does in us and for us through Jesus. Because of all of this work by the Spirit it was because of that that the leadership recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Distinguishing marks from the Spirit, from Christ, had left themselves upon Peter and John so distinctly that the leaders acknowledged they understood where their authority, where the power to heal that man came from. And it came from that name. That name that Peter says that there is no salvation anywhere else to be found. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved, it says. A life-changing work. I go back to verses right before what, what Cheryl read this morning, verses 1 and 2. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That, that caused the whole kerfuffle. The issue of what they brought was this question of resurrection. We always want to talk about salvation as, I don't want to go to hell, kind of a thing. But resurrection isn't about that. Resurrection is about new life in you. It's about, it's about taking all those things that people assume about you because they've seen you on your bad day and erasing them and not caring about those things anymore because you're Christ. You belong to him. We start with Ephesians 2 where it tells us that we're dead in trespasses and sins, but we are made alive in Christ right now, in Him. So when the day comes that our death hits us and we fall asleep in Jesus, we know that the next voice we hear is His telling us, time to get up. And we hold to that truth, and that brings us that boldness. It brings us that trust in which we can declare that there's no other name, not my name, not your name, no other name. So church, I ask you this morning, are you dead men and women raised? Have you been buried with Christ and raised to new life? 
Is there something, is there something different that has happened to you over your life in which Christ has come and abides in you and you in him? Because you are his. Whether you like it or not, you've been drafted under the team. You're here now. And Christ is speaking to you now this morning, telling you this. I beg and I pray that for us, the Spirit would fill us, right? Grant us that boldness and make it so that when we leave here, people recognize that we've been with Jesus. That's the whole point of why we're here. That's the goal for our life. Not so that they would know us. Not so that they would know our church. None of that. So that they would know Christ. And I pray that you would know him more and more every time we gather. That you might be his and he yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.